Socialism, communism, and anarchism are three distinct but common ideologies that have spanned human history. From Neolithic hunter-gatherer groups to the modern global systems we have now, these ideologies have formed and defined great epochs of our existence. From Lao Tzu to Karl Marx to Jeremy Corbyn and Bernie Sanders, let's look at the history of these ideologies and philosophies that have shaped our human existence. Professor Harold Barclay would describe anarchism as something inherent to the human experience. In our prehistorical human existence, before political or special classes were formed, we lived in a precursor to anarcho-collectivism. As we get to our written history, as political classes and social hierarchies formed, proto-anarchism and proto-socialism formed as a critical response to these new systems. During the end of Chinese Zhou Dynasty, 1027 BCE, to 256 BCE, an era marked with constant civil war and strife. Different philosophical schools of thoughts formed. The first anarchists were the founders of Taoism or Taoism in ancient China. The semi-mythical figure Lao Tzu and Zhang Zhou from the 6th century BCE to the 4th century BCE, quote, advised rulers to rule by inaction or do nothing. And in their opposition to law, mortality, punishment, warfare, nearly all other techniques and forms of rule as John Rapp wrote in his book, Taoism and Anarchism. They taught leaders to return to a pre-feudal tribal existence where the leader was more of a tribal elder without a monopoly on political coercion. It was contrasted at the time with Confucianism. Confucius believed there should be an autocratic virtuous leader. He did not believe everyone was equal or had a right to determine politics or governance. The divide between conservative ideals and progressive theory in ancient China was personified in Confucius, the founder of conservatism, and Lao Tzu and Zhang Zhou as the founders of anarchism in Asia. Across the world, a new power was rising in the Mediterranean. Around the same time, Lao Tzu and Zhang Zhu were creating Taoism and the beginnings of anarchist philosophy. Greek sophists or philosophers were also starting to define and create proto-socialist and anarchist philosophy. The Greek polis or city-states of Athens, Thebes, Corinth, and Sparta are traditionally the founders of Western civilization. The ideals of democracy and the Republic of Athens have been taught in schools across the West as foundational information for our modern liberal capitalistic world. While the word anarchy or anarchos does appear in Homer's Iliad in 8th century BCE, it just described a faction's lack of leader. It wasn't until sometime later that it would begin to define more of a political action or ideology. In the 6th and 5th century BCE, Aeschylus and Sophocles would write in plays like Seven Against Thebes about a tragic protagonist, Antigone declaring she isn't only willing to risk punishment against the state, but she, quote, it's not a shame to act in anarchist opposition to the rulers of the city, end quote. Creon, the fictional leader of this play and antagonist to Antigone, would represent the state and even be the ancient Greek word for leader. He not only represented the state, but represented an oppressive state in the themes of this play. In the play, Creon preaches for sons to be obedient to their fathers and warned that women, quote, destroy cities. Aristophanes, in his satirical play Ecclesiastes, described a classical Athens as a feminist and communist state. In the play, the women seize control of the city and declare they will make land, money, and everything that is private property common to all, end quote. Men like Socrates, Diognetus of Sinope, Aristippus, and the schools of Cynics and Stoics tend to lean towards proto-anarchist philosophy, whether students in Plato and Aristotle would reject the idea that a republic 
can't serve the people properly. Greek philosophy set the stage for the Western divide and conservative and democratic ideals that we still see today. In the late 4th century BCE, in the subcontinent of India, rose the first centralized or state-socialized economy of the Mauryan Empire. The massive Indian Empire that formed in the late 4th century BCE would best be described as the first, quote, socialized monarchy. The philosophy of this kingdom came from Chanakya, or Kutulia, as he is traditionally called. He was a philosopher, teacher, economist, and the royal advisor of the first king of the Mauryan Empire, Chandragupta Maurya. He taught that the economic, material well-being of people was the supreme goal, and leaders should have the same goal for their people. He saw public unrest, civil strife, or war being an action that can be subverted through making sure people's material well-being was taken care of collectively. He didn't see Republican or patriotic fervor as a means for support from the people or the armory. It was the treasury. The state, in a way, to make sure that the treasury was always filled, owned the land, warehouses, most industries, and the means of production. It would then lease land to citizens to work for a tax. The Mauryan Empire was still a monarchy and engaged in massive wars of expansion, while not truly being a society where the working class owned the means of production. However, the lack of real private industry with massive welfare systems in such a massive empire was a new development for human civilization and a building block in socialist thought. As a Mediterranean backwater was slowly becoming an imperialist powerhouse, Rome was going through civil and economic crises. After the genocidal Punic Wars between Rome and Carthage ended, Rome was starting to look inward towards issues between the plebeian class or working class and the land-owning aristocratic class. Rome was an empire where the land was predominantly owned by a private, wealthy class. The farms and industries were all worked by slaves, and in order to be in the army, you had to own land. So the majority of the Roman population, the Roman citizens at least, were destitute, landless, and couldn't find work. A man by the name of Tiberius Gracchus would try to solve this issue. He was elected in the office of Tribune of the Plebs in 133 BCE and immediately pushed for massive land reforms. He created a commission through an old law to start redistribution of land to the poor. When he ran for a second term, the liberal and conservative senators created a coalition and killed Tiberius Gracchus and 300 of his followers. They were clubbed to death in the middle of the city. His brother Gaius Gracchus tried to follow his brother's footsteps, reinstalled the land program Tiberius started, fixed prices for food for the poor, pushed for courts to try senators for misconduct, and open up citizenship to non-Romans. The latter issue would lead the poor within Rome to turn on Gaius, as they feared that other classes would hurt them if they gained political power. The Roman aristocracy, sensing their moment, violently turned on Gaius Gracchus and his supporters, killing over 3,000 people within the city and leading Gaius Gracchus to commit suicide. All the programs and advancements the Gracchus brothers implemented were reversed except for the grain laws. The proto-socialist experiment in the Roman Empire died tragically with the Gracchus brothers. In the aftermath of the Roman Empire and within the Sassanid Empire of Persia, an Iranian and Zoroastrian prophet named Mazdak the Younger would tragically die trying to reform the Persian Sassanian Empire. Living in the 6th century BCE, he would be comparable to a Jesus figure in the Christian belief system. He was seen as a reformer of the abuses of the clergy. He sought for the betterment of all people. He believed that all people should divide the earth equally, and that God put the substances of the earth there for us equally. However, strong men came in and oppressed the weak, creating social and political hierarchies. He preached that there should be no killing of man or animals. 
being a vegetarian. He promoted a redistribution of wealth and land to get rid of the five demons, as he called them. Envy, wrath, vengeance, greed, and need. His following grew to an extent that the king of the empire converted to Mazdak's form of religion. Mazdak, through King Kavad, was able to enact massive social reforms to give equity and power back to the people. However, the conservative faction of the state and church conspired against the king of Mazdak and overthrew them. King Kavad would regain power in three years, but distance himself from Mazdak before letting his son unleash a bloody genocide against Mazdak and his followers. They would also burn all of Mazdak's works. So today there are no existing copies of anything Mazdak wrote or believed in, only accounts from his enemies. Roughly a hundred years later, as Islam is expanding under the Prophet Muhammad and his companions, one of them would be the creator to Islamic socialism. Abu Dar al-Ghafari al-Kanani would be a critical figure in the formation of Islam with Muhammad. In his time, he would oppose the caliphate of Abu Bakr and Uthman ibn Affan, thus a central figure in the divide of the Islamic world that still exists today. He called for the caliphate to redistribute wealth as he saw the elite class was accumulating far too much. He successfully pushed the caliphate to have a guaranteed annual income for men, women, and children. One of the five pillars of Islam, zakat, is the teachings and regulations of mandatory redistribution of wealth to the poor. Those who can't meet basic needs, people trying to escape slavery, homeless children, etc. Through this pillar, Abu Dhar pushed for welfare and pension programs for all citizens. Equity was extended to all. Even the caliph himself, meaning the ruler, was subject to the same laws and regulations as everyone. People that were too poor to buy food were given government coupons to buy food. Unemployment insurance was created. They created a poverty threshold to increase the standard of living. Many scholars would say that Rashidun Caliphate, or the Caliphate of Abu Bakr, under the pressure of people like Abu Dhar, became the first welfare state with policies and institutions mirroring the modern U.S. social security system, SNAC programs, UBIs, etc. The ancient founders of anarchism, socialism, Communism set the foundations of future class struggles. Men like Lao Tzu, Aeschylus, Abu Dhar still inspire oppressed people everywhere. And they were some of the first to ask about the legitimacy of those in power while trying to create a new equitable world for all people. We don't get to the Enlightenment age of the post-medieval world, let alone the modern architects of the 19th and 20th century without these founders.